Hi, I'm Malcolm Hawker, and this is the CDO Matters Podcast, the show where I dig deep into the strategic insights, best practices, and practical recommendations that modern data leaders need to help their organizations become truly data-driven. Tune in for thought-provoking discussions with data, IT, and business leaders to learn about the CDO matters that are top of mind for today's chief data officers. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to CDO Matters Live. I'm Malcolm Hawker. I'm the head of data strategy with Prophecy Software. And some of you may have seen the podcast before. I hope you've seen the podcast before. We've had... uh, probably 15 or 16 editions by the time this goes to press. Um, And we're glad to have you here today. So we're trying something a little bit different. We're going to do a live event of the podcast. And I am joined by my partner in crime today, the pride of New Orleans, Louisiana, Mr. Ben Bourgeois, uh, who is my partner here at Prophecy. And Ben will be uh, helping facilitate things. Ben will be the Andy to my Conan the, the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, which is a really, real, really, really old uh, reference that people probably won't get. But anyway, um, with with that fanfare, Ben, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Malcolm. Thanks, Malcolm. Yeah, like, uh, Malcolm said, I'm the director of digital marketing at Prophecy. Work really closely with them on all things CDO Matters, including the podcast and our new monthly live edition. So good to see everybody. Um, I'll be helping facilitate, MC, what you will. Um, we will be taking questions, so please drop your questions in the Goldcast chat um, or in the Q&A or discussion tabs. And we're also streaming on LinkedIn Live. So if you drop your questions in there, we will do our best to collect those and answer them um, a little later in the event. We're going to let Malcolm kind of uh, go off a little bit here at the beginning, and we will collect <laughs> all the questions for a little later. So, Malcolm, you want to get started? Yeah. Go, go off. It's kind of what I do, right? Uh, yeah, I like I, I, I like to rant. Um, so anyway, for those who have seen this before, uh, love to kind of talk about things that are front of mind, um, but but I'll, I will I will veer into other areas as well. A uh, friend of mine for me is something I just posted in LinkedIn a couple of hours ago uh, related to data versus analytics. And the question that I asked in LinkedIn was why do we separate analytical uses of data from operational uses of data? And and when I say operational uses of data, we'll kind of broadly kind of say data management, the management of data, the data estate, applications of data, data being used in CRM systems, ERP systems, operational uses of data, using data for things versus reports. And we do it all the time. We even do it in the label that we use to describe our own industry, data and analytics. Like these are two separate things. We have chief data and analytics officers. We even have this bright, shiny new thing called the data mesh, which is a, yes, socio-technical approach that is beyond a data architecture. I get that. I know there's a lot of mesh acolytes in there that will, will be holding my feet to the fire. But the data mesh is a analytical approach to managing data. It's all about analytics and it actually doesn't even speak to the operational uses of data. So if we agree that there is at least this mindset of separating data from analytics, and these are two different worlds, wow, Mr. Miyagi here, a little wax on, wax off action with my hands. Um, if these are two separate worlds, well, why? 
Um, this perplexes me because data leads to insight. Well, let's say analytics would lead to insight and insight would lead to decisions, meaning actions, right? So, so things need to be ordered, purchased, configured, procured. Stuff needs to be done. Decisions need to be operationalized within operational systems, go figure. Um, like CRM applications, like any other tools that are used internally. And so if we kind of draw a distinction here, I don't, I don't get it, right? I don't, I don't get it. And what I've seen through my career is that when we draw a line between analytics and between operational uses of data, it kind of opens the door for a lot of freedom on the analytics side. Okay, all right, that's that arguably is a good thing. Um, and this is this is the data mesh, right? It, it is operational, or I should say, analytical freedom around the data, domain-driven freedom, business function control over analytical uses of data. And you could argue, okay, well, that's that's a good thing, maybe. Democratization of data is a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing. Way back in the day, we used to call them data marts. We would build these little standalone solutions for, for people, call them data marts. So, so far, so good. Like, okay, that's, that's good. Give the business more freedom over their analytics. Okay. But what ends up happening is that the business, when they have control over their own analytics and have control over BI, will start to define their own business rules for how they want that data to appear in reports. So they will start to define their own data quality rules. They will start to define even things like their own data definitions that are appearing in those reports. In theory, if you had a common foundation of data governance that spanned analytical uses and operational uses, everything would be fine, right? There would be harmony in the world. There would be angels singing. Everything would be fine. But that's not what happens. What ends up happening is that from those kind of business units in the domains, they start to define their own rules. They start to define their own quality standards. They start to define their own things. And this leads to a lot of problems when data needs to be used cross-functionally, right? When, 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 when data needs to move from sales into finance when a contract gets executed, right? When, when product data moves from manufacturing and into marketing, uh, when we go from a finished product to uh, a, a, a product that is being marketed and sold in some e-commerce channels. So when, when data moves cross-functionally, if everybody's looking at things differently and lacks a common definition, lacks a common structure, lacks common quality measures, that really creates a problem. And I think a lot of this has to trace back to the idea that somehow we can compartmentalize data, data management, operational uses of data versus analytical uses. And it starts even in our name, data and analytics. So that's my rant du jour. Um, <laughs> I don't know why we do it. Honestly, I, I think Gartner, my, my previous employer, has a lot to do with this. Um, they they kind of you know kind of went with data and analytics a few years ago, and that was actually, believe it or not, largely a reaction to their, their own internal organization organization and less to do with how people were actually using data. Um, but I think I think it's problematic, and I think we need to kind of break some of those barriers. I see analytics. Forgive me, some people may react to this and there may be a kind of a backlash, but I see analytics basically as a use case of data, right? It is a way to use data, it is an application of data. And we should be looking at applications from an analytics perspective or applications of data from an operational perspective with equal weight and not draw a distinction between them. And I think drawing the distinction is, is a real problem. So so Ben, that is my, my, my rant du jour. Um, what was that? Well, a six minute rant, that's pretty good for me. <laughs>
And, you know, I know you're saying it, it can come from a few different places, but I wonder, do you think it's just it comes from maybe the, the ownership and maybe just kind of the mindset of the two? So maybe from an, yeah. an IT in an organization, the data itself, well, that's an IT thing. That's something that right. they have to own and maintain. But, oh, analytics, if I'm a leader or if I'm a CFO, I can relate to that. I, I want some ownership over that. Well, yeah, ownership. Um, this I, I find that the, the notion of ownership a curious notion when it comes to data. Um, but it's rife. It's everywhere, right? It, it, there are people out there talking about establishing data ownership as a best practice in the space. Well, you need to define your data owners. Well, what mm -hmm. does that even mean, right? Like I, I know, and and again, I know I could be opening my 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 DM Bach, right? And 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 my data management book of knowledge from from Dama, and I would open it and would see, well, this is data ownership, and data ownership is really important. This is how you define data ownership. Um, but I don't really, in, 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 in practice, in theory, book, great. So in theory, I, I seem to get it. But in practice, that's not what actually happens. In practice, data ownership is really, really about two things. It is about the definition of policies and procedures, the rules, the laws, as it were, about data. Those can be defined by a lot of different groups, particularly master data that is shared cross-functionally, product customer, location, asset, thing, employee, doesn't matter, data that is shared widely across the organization. The rules, the laws of that data, the policies and procedures as defined by a governance organization, there can be many, many people involved in defining those rules. So that's one aspect of ownership, the rules. The other aspect of ownership is the care and feeding, implementation, execution, support of those rules. And again, that can happen in a lot of different places. You can define a rule for customer data related to uh, data quality, and that rule could be actually enforced in a CRM system. It could even be enforced outside of IT. It could be enforced anytime customer data is created, edited, and on and on and on. So the idea that there could be this one anointed person who is the owner, 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 oh, sorry, echo, uh, of like customer data, when in reality there are... 10, 15 people involved in defining the policies and procedures and an equal number of people that are involved in actually maintaining and supporting and executing and implementing those policies and procedures. The idea that there's one owner, I mean, to me, that seems like a recipe for failure, <laughs> right? If you try to say, hey, you are responsible for owning this data. The only time that's really ever going to work is when data lives completely in a silo and it doesn't go anywhere else. It just lives in one place, right? In one application, in one table, in one anything else. And you could say, all right, you own that data. And if it doesn't go anywhere, it's not shared, it doesn't show up on you know, reports all shared across the organization. All right, well, then I could then I think data ownership could, could work. But uh, in theory, you know, it just it's in theory, great, assign a data owner, there you go. In practice, no, it doesn't yeah, happen. It might work for an incredibly small organization or some very siloed use exactly. mention, but I think a lot of people who listen to to your stuff are trying to move some some bigger blocks and do some bigger challenges in that. Yeah, it's funny. I just said in theory and it activated Siri on my phone. <laughs> maybe maybe I've developed a list and I didn't know it. That's funny. I was looking down at my phone. It's like it's flashing. It's like, oh, Siri in theory. Anyway, <laughs> that's 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 my that's 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 my perspective on, on data ownership and tying back to the to, to the previous kind of discussion of data versus analytics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can say, well, you're a, you're a, you're an owner of this report. Well, 
okay, if that report doesn't go anywhere else, it only stays in one organization and you have complete and total control over the definition of that report, the business rules used to make it, great. But um, if you need to share that report outside of your organization and have it make any sense whatsoever, chances are you're going to be interfacing with other people who think that they also own that report or they also own that data field or that object or that domain. Absolutely. So it's a little bit about, about data and data perspectives and kind of why we silo and talk about things the way we do. Um, kind of off of that, you had an episode of the podcast recently, you talked to Rashad Dingra about uh, product management um, yeah. to data. Um, what, what's the value of bringing that perspective to it? What, what, what was your, your take on that? <sighs> well, great question. What, why, right? What, why, why do we need to be talking about data as a product? Uh, I think most of what I see in the world today about data as a product is misguided um, because I think most people are taking that approach because of the ownership issue, right? They, 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 they are struggling with governance. They are struggling with data quality. They are struggling with a lot of data management related tasks. And the natural reaction to that with a lot by a lot of organizations is to say, okay, I need an owner here, right? Um, and they, they, people who are struggling with these things uh, kind of turn to the kind of the data Illuminati out there and LinkedIn and other places to see, okay, well, what are people doing with this? Oh, wait a minute, there's this thing called data as a product. And one of the things that it advocates is to assign domain ownership. This is, this is a core tenet of the data mesh, right? Like, okay, uh, domain, own it. It's owned at a functional level. And, uh, and and data as a product is kind of a, a core tenet. It's a it's a what Zamok would say is one of the first principles of 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 uh, of the data mesh. These things all come together. Organizations say, "Okay, I'm really struggling. That means I need to have data as a product. That means I need a data product owner, right?" And that is really. Uh, I don't think that that in and of itself, in a vacuum at the very least, is, is really going to help very much at all for all the various reasons that I just talked about. But there's a lot of people that are that are kind of turning to the idea as data as a product because it is being held out as a solution to all of those problems that I'm that I talked about before. Now, what I see as well is this kind of bottoms up. Kind of like we, we do this so much in the data world. We we, we do this like because we're we're analytical types. Where we are we are engineering types, and we like to break things down into component pieces. And we start thinking about data as a product. We say, oh hey, this sounds pretty good, and and I'm going to have ownership over it. And I'm going to assign a product owner, or he or she will have control over all of these things, and and it'll be one person on the racing matrix that I can name to to establish all these policies and procedures, and they'll get to do all their own analytics, and this is going to great. Oh, okay. Well, how do I define a product, right? Or what are the products that I can build? And, oh, I guess I need to go take a catalog of all of my, of all of my data. And I need to go take a profile of all of my data to figure out what's out there. And, and it's kind of like, it makes me, kind of reminds me of when I was a little kid, I was big into Lego and I had this giant box of Lego right? And I would take the box. Every, this was like my, my starting point for any of my Lego projects. I would literally dump the box out onto the floor and there'd be Lego everywhere. And then I would sit and look at the Lego and I would say, okay, well, what can I do with all the Lego? Right? What can I make out of it? And it was pretty much always a boat or a spaceship or something. I mean, you know, I have my templates, but, but that's kind of what I see with, with data as a product today. 
um, which is, hey, I need to go find all of my Lego. And, and then I need to kind of take inventory of the Lego so I can understand, you know, what, what my product catalog is going to be. That's backwards. <laughs> and I was doing it backwards as a kid. Shocker. Uh, but that's backwards, right? What you need to be doing is talking to people out, business owners who have problems, who cannot, you know, who are being held back by their data, who are not hitting their annual bonuses because of data, or who, who are not delighting the customers because of, of, of data-related problems. That's where you need to start and work backwards. So I'm excited about data product management being applied to data. I'm not excited about the notion of data products because I think it's misguided. And I think most people are taking this bottoms up, dumping the Lego box out on the floor approach. And it is counterproductive because people are spending a ton of time doing data inventories and data catalogs and data glossaries, all with the idea of trying to figure out, well, what can I make out of my toolbox, right? What are all the great things that I can make? And how do I do even define a product? Is that a is that an API? Is that a field? Is that an object? Is that a table? Uh, I, I, I don't know. This is all seems very confusing here, but if I just keep working through my, my, my data catalog and my data profile and my lineage and all this other stuff, I'll eventually get to it. Right. No, that's not the right way. The right way is to talk to business users and have them say, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. And if you can go solve that problem with data, well, there's your product. So right. product management is the latter. Product management, when applied to data, is understanding customer needs, understanding what's going to solve their problems, understanding pain points, and developing customized solutions that will solve those problems, in this case, using data. That's awesome. That is goodness. That is pure goodness. Product management, when applied to data management in that way, will yield to great, great things and great outcomes. Data as a product, bottoms up, no bueno. Right. It, it's it's kind of like you mentioned, it's a product manager, you know, they look at P&L, they look at impact, they look at end results, you know, and taking that mentality and trying to say, well, what's what's the actual outcome? Right. What are we trying to achieve? And let's not kind of get mired or caught up in the, like you said, data governance glossary operational kind of process of it. Yep. Forever. Yep. Totally. See it all Absolutely. the time. So uh, switching gears a bit, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you, you know, enforcing a data standard and data ownership, and that could be in a CRM, that could be anywhere. Um, you had a post kind of blow up on LinkedIn last week about how, um, you know, can you just manage customer data in Salesforce? Can you do an MDM light in Salesforce? Can you do some of these things that I think a lot of companies out there are trying to do as far as enforcing data quality and maintaining standards in Salesforce, you know? You yeah. and I use Salesforce all the time. It's a it's a good tool. Every what, day. What are you doing? What's it? What's it? What's the some shortcomings? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so that that post was a reaction to questions I've been getting for the previous three years as a gardener analyst. I it was it was a recurring drumbeat um, uh, of can I use Salesforce as my MDM. Um, and it was it was interesting. The, the the drum beats would get louder and louder and louder, leading up to Dreamforce events. Would kind of peak the week after Dreamforce, and then they would kind of peter <laughs> peter out within like three four weeks after Dreamforce. Um, the short answer here, you know, when looking at if if you consider MDM through the lens of uh, critical capabilities. And, and, and I would go again, go back to Gartner, uh, in terms of how does Gartner define MDM as a competency? How do others define MDM as a competency? And, and, and what you would learn is that there are a list of things that you need to do to be considered enterprise class MDM. 
right? There is you know, data stewardship, there's data quality, there's data integration, there's workflow components, there's data persistence. There is multiple implementation styles of, of, of data. My camera just flashed at me, that was weird. Uh, multiple implementation styles, um, multiple deployment styles, on and on, right? There's, there's 13 capabilities that you need to have in order to be considered enterprise class MDM. When you compare that to what Salesforce can do, so I, I, I put out this graph, kind of doing a chart with, with the Harvey Balls, uh, comparing uh, Salesforce to enterprise class MDM solutions, what you're going to find inevitably is that Salesforce considerably falls short across just about every metric or every critical capability that you would need in order to be considered enterprise class MDM. Now, we could have an interesting conversation about, well, what about some lighter form of MDM? Right. If I'm just trying to create, uh, let's say, a marketing 360, and and I and I and I said marketing 360 by design because that is different than an enterprise-wide 360. But if all I'm trying to do is a single view of my customers, and my my data universe is marketing, Salesforce can do that. It's it's really right. actually very good at that, assuming you have reasonable controls over your data. Maybe you've implemented um, some app exchange tools and bolted on some tools for kind of dedupe on, on entry. And there's, uh, there's, there's great tools out there that I've, I've bought over the years, demand tools, these types of things that, that help you make sure that the data that you're inputting into Salesforce, they've, Salesforce itself has even got some tools here. For a marketing 360, you, you, you could use Salesforce for that. But again, if you're talking about enterprise class MDM, where, where that data needs to be shared across multiple functions, right? And available across multiple patterns of consumption, whether that is a Kafka stream or a file or anything else, across multiple use cases, analytical, operational, um, across multiple divisions, departments, uh, Salesforce is just not built for that. Mm -hmm. It's built as a CRM, right? And enterprise class MDM are built for uh, to support all of those use cases, because that's that's what MDM is. So you're going to get some MDM capabilities out of Salesforce. Are they comparable? Nope, not even close. There's a few there's a few areas that are really kind of I would say really kind of problematic. Uh, one is the data model within Salesforce itself. The kind of the object based data model is really really limiting, especially when it comes to some of the kind of the very complex relationships, the com complex hierarchies that exist naturally within within master data. Right? Mm -hmm. Salesforce doesn't do that very very well at all. It's very limiting. Uh, as well, key capability, what we call entity resolution, aka complex matching, algorithmically driven matching to understand if Acme, Acme Inc, Acme Co is one thing or three things. Salesforce does does not do that very, very well. There are other things that it really kind of struggles with. When it comes to CRM, it, it's it's world class. It's absolutely right. world class. But the reason why MDM's platform exists is, is because Salesforce doesn't do it. By the way, nor do CDPs. So... Salesforce has a CDP. There are plenty of other CDPs of their customer data platforms. Uh, again, they don't have anywhere close to the, the, the level of functionality that MDMs do. And CDP vendors, at least the honest ones, will tell you that. Right. Half the problem here is that, you know, Salesforce salespeople are really good. <laughs> and they are 
rather aggressive. If you if you own Salesforce, you know they 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 are out there pushing for renewals and upgrades and and spending more money every year with Salesforce. So so they're out there pitching their CDP. They're out there pitching MuleSoft, which is their integration product. They're out there mm-hmm. telling they're out there telling the world that they can be used to maintain a single version of the truth, which is true if you're only trying to serve people in marketing, right? But people hear that, oh, it's a single version of the truth. That means I can use it for everything, not just for marketing. Right. So buyer beware around Salesforce, amazing world-class CRM platform. But when it comes to MDM, chances are pretty good. If you really need MDM, you're going to need a lot more than what Salesforce can offer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, Marketing 360, much more limited application. Can certainly do some of that, but not not a lot of the enterprise-wide. Exactly. I do. Yeah. So, so speak, speaking of marketing, uh, you had an MDM Bytes uh, video recently. You're talking about the importance of marketing an IT initiative or MDM initiative and the impact that can have with either getting it off the ground or yep. getting more buy-in. You know, w- what's something IT or business or CDOs can learn um, from you know, the importance of marketing your initiative like that? Uh, yeah, this is, this is something I had to learn through the School of Hard Knocks. I had no idea. Like when I when I was first tasked to implement MDM, get MDM off the ground, get a, some form of governance program off the ground, I I had no idea, right? I'm an IT guy. What 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 do we need with marketing or promotions? And this is again, yeah. this is something that I that I, that I that I learned the hard way. It's it's critical, and it's critical across all phases of a large scale data, data initiative. And, and this isn't just MDM guys, by the way, this is this is data strategy, this is data governance, this is MDM. If you're working on data quality initiative, right, you, you, you need to do marketing, right? And it's not just about advertising the benefits. That's an important part of it, don't get me wrong. Like if you, if you move the needle, if you solve a problem, uh, you're gonna wanna scream that from the mountaintops. Right. You're, you're going to want to say, look at what we did, look at the value that we drove to the organization, look at the complex problem that we solved. So th- that's certainly mm-hmm. a, a part of it. But what this is all about beyond that, beyond the, the screaming from the mountaintops, look how awesome we are. This is about managing and setting expectation. This is about people having people start to understand why we invest in data. Why are we doing this? How does better data con- connect to something that I care about in the business, right? Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this is a huge problem for the average person who is working in a CRM all day, every day, or working in an ERP system all day, every day. I see this all the time. You know, these big programs kind of come, come in like a wave and it's now all of a sudden this field is required, this field is required, and I'm, we're going to make it a little harder for you to do your job. And those people are like, wait a minute, hold on a second. You're making it harder to do my job. Why? I don't get it. I don't see it. You're slowing me down. Mm-hmm. And this whole, you know, data, this whole MDM thing, ah, I don't like it. I don't like it. Well, good marketing would would mean that even in advance of implementing a change in a CRM or an ERP or making a field required or or changing how a dashboard looks, good marketing mm-hmm. would say, in advance of that, let the people know what's coming. Let them know why it's coming. Make the benefits to them real as early as possible, right? So, so you know, have a marketing plan. Yes, a marketing plan for your data-related project. And again, that could be as simple as a new report, a new dashboard, maybe something as big as MDM, or maybe even something even bigger like a data strategy. 
you need to have a marketing and communications plan associated to that that tells people, gets people excited about it, brings home, you know, make makes makes data real from their mm -hmm. from the perspective of their day-to-day -day job. So it's the kind of the classic tell them what you're gonna do, do it, and then tell them again what you did for them, and then tell them again what you did for them and keep it going and keep it going because this is marketing is so, so, so important to getting stakeholder engagement. It's so important to getting funding, it's so important to get the people who are using your products, products, data products day in and day out. So without marketing, it, it's just it's just going to be so, 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 so hard to do and so hard to maintain, you know, that funding. It's so, so hard to get the funding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and I think coming back to the kind of the notion about product management, product managers can just know this stuff, right? <laughs> like you, you would you would never launch a product, right? Like I'm going to make a phone, right? Or I'm going to make a widget, right? You, you'd never, you'd never embark on, you know, making a widget without having a marketing plan. You you, you need right. one, right? Like if you were in the widget business, what's the marketing plan? You know, what's the budget for marketing? Who's our intended audience? Who's our, who's our target uh, customer? And on and on. If we implement more product management into data management and into data world, then, you know, you would have people asking questions like, oh, okay, well, that's great. We're embarking on a data quality program or we're, we're building a new dashboard or we're launching Tableau or whatever. It doesn't matter. What's our marketing plan? And it's something you should be asking kind of as a normal course of business because it's only going to yield to goodness um, as, as a result. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like you said with product management and just bring that new perspective. It's something I'm sure you know, IT leaders, they kind of get as they advance in their career, right? They get a little further away from the, the practice and the looking at the objects, looking at the fields, looking at the kind of more tactical yeah. things they're doing. It, it's something they have they have to learn and have to have to get into because that, that's a huge part of it and getting these things, getting these things done at an enterprise level. Yeah. You know, IT people, we're just we're, we're not very good at, at some things. There's some things that we're really, really good at. We're good at problem solving, I would say. We're good at architecture. We're good at technical things. We're good at writing code. There's so many things that I do feel we're really good at. One of the things we're just not that good at is marketing, right? Because and and it goes sales as well. And you know, obviously, I'm I'm, I'm painting with a really really wide brush here, and I'm sure that there are some IT folks that are just phenomenal marketers. But but as a, as a general rule, it's 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 generally something we we don't think about. It kind of falls into the sales bucket. You know, somebody else's job and. That's okay. I would argue that you just need somebody who's good at marketing, uh, whether that is within this, the, the data and analytics team. Oh, look, I just fell prey to my own thing. I, I just said data and analytics. Within the data team, um, that person can be in the data team, right? It could be the program lead for MDM or it could be the you know your lead data steward or, or you could have those competencies within a data team. Or they could be within your marketing organization. Go build relationships with your marketing folks, with your marketing team, and say, "Hey, listen, I'm embarking on this thing. We're doing it. We're executing a data strategy, or we're implementing MDM. Um, can you help me with the marketing for it?" And they may come back and say, "Well, how much money do you have? Right. <laughs> What's your funding?" Right? And and that's okay, and and that's fine. I would expect most to to do that. But you know, I'm not saying you need to go higher necessarily, depending on your company size, of course. If you need to go hire an expensive, you know, marketing person. Chances are those people are already existing. But as a data leader, whether that is an MDM program lead or data quality program lead or a CDO, you need to go and interface with your marketing organization and say, you know, hey, here's the big thing, the big ticket items we're doing this year as a part of executing on our strategy, and I'm going to need your support. 
And if you can't support me, then you go back to your CEO and ask for some additional funding to source those roles within your organization, within the data organization, or you source them from within marketing, right? Um, so yeah, it, it's it's an absolute must do because because generally, you know, it's it's not something we consider often enough. I would argue within IT, you know, focused organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing uh, we posted from you this week, Malcolm, you had a new blog go out um, earlier this week on the the costs and benefits trade offs when you're looking at uh, data governance, right? Um, yeah. I, I thought that was interesting um, just because one of the things you talked about is the popularity of kind of like this super decentralized or federated kind of approach to governance. It, is that a new phenomenon? Is that just something we're paying attention to more now? And, and do you think that's a you know the right way to go about it? Or what's your take on that? Um, well, again, that's that's this this idea of kind of super decentralized governance. Um, it, it it's this pendulum, right? <laughs> right, like, and based on my oh, good lord, thirty years, yeah, that's real, that's real gray hair. Um, yeah, I've seen the pendulum swing back and forth you know, many, many, many times, and and where we are right now is the pendulum is swinging wildly towards kind of decentralized data governance, and you know, the post that I made was a theory. Um, and I would love, love to embark on some sort of quant, you know, uh, research to, to back the theory up. But the theory is based on my experience where, where as these pendulums swing back and forth, decentralized, centralized, decentralized, centralized, I would argue that the, the pendulum is an outcome. Um, and, and the pendulum, the swinging back and forth is, is an outcome from the business feeling like they're being told too much what to do. Like the mm -hmm. business feeling like they don't have enough freedom, the business feeling that they can't move fast enough, the business feeling like they're being force fed business rules or policies or procedures that don't well align to how they manage their business. Right. And, and these things ebb, ebb and flow like the tide. And what we're seeing right now is, is a lot of that with the business saying, okay, you want me to digitally transform. You want um, business acceleration. So it's not just digital transformation, it's digital acceleration. You want more for less. IT leaders, including CDOs, are, are having their budgets continually cut where IT leaders are being asked to, you know, it's, it's, it's zero funding for these major programs, including cloud migrations, right? Like self-funded initiatives. So the pressures are on leadership. Right. And and they're they're whether they're IT leadership or business leadership, right? CEOs are saying we need more, we need it bigger, we need it faster. Business leaders are saying, okay, we can do that. Then I but, but to do it, uh, I need I need freedom. Right. I I I need, I need the freedom to build my own analytics. And we've this is this has been this has been a crescendo that's been building in marketing organizations for a while mm -hmm. now, for I would I would argue about the last seven years where marketing organizations have been staffing and building out their own analytics groups, right? Where there are, there's a marketing analytics team now within a lot of marketing organizations. So businesses are saying more freedom, more freedom, more freedom. If you want me to go faster, I need to be free, right? And, and there's a certain logic to that. And there's a certain attraction to that. And, and, and I get it. Um, so that happens. And then the business goes and starts to build up their own reports, right? The business starts to go and build their own little data marks. They go and buy their own tools. They go there, buy their own analytics solutions, right? They'll go and spend a lot of money with Adobe or whoever, it doesn't matter, um, and, and, and start to deploy all of these solutions. What they find, right, what they find is that when they do it, they are 
it basically to do it, they are defining requirements, of course, because all solutions, all programs, all processes mm -hmm. need requirements. Those are buried in those requirements are governance policies. They may not appear like governance policies and they may not even be called governance policies, but they most certainly are. Standards for data quality, right? I'm building a marketing dashboard, right? What's the data that goes on here? What data doesn't go on here? How are we going to do it, right? Integration, ETL. There are marketing organizations that are doing their own ETL, right? That, that, are, that are defining business rules for mapping of data. The minute you start mapping data and moving it from A to B, that's governance, because there are business rules that have to go in to say, I'm going to move it over here to move it over here, and I'm going to make some transformations to it. The minute you start trans transforming data or even normalizing data, rules need to be applied to that data. That's right. governance. Marketing will say, well, I, I, need, I need to manage my own hierarchy. I don't want to apply to the corporate hierarchy. I'm going to define my own marketing-centric hierarchy. Fantastic. That's governance. Right. So 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 this is the pendulum swinging and it's swinging and it has been swinging for a number of years towards business units with autonomy to give them autonomy. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic to a certain degree. But <laughs> what ends up happening, what ends up happening is that the autonomy that has been given to that business unit, the freedom that they get comes at a cost. The cost is is cross functional interdependence and cross functional efficiencies. Right. Where all of a sudden now it's not just about marketing or procurement or finance or accounting or compliance. It's like, how do you make them all work together? Oh, wow. Wait a minute. It's taking me two weeks to run a full customer report because marketing is doing different things differently than finance is doing different than every other group. And that and, and then CEOs go, go, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Why is it taking me two weeks to run a customer report here? You told me marketing that all my problems are going to go away when I gave you autonomy. You told me finance, all my problems are going to go away. And now I've got more problems than I had before. Cue the pendulum to start swinging back the other way. Right. <laughs> right. And this and this just kind of happens naturally. And it happens naturally as a result of, of, of kind of business shifts. It happens naturally from, from changes of, of leadership. It, 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 it happens naturally from a lot of different reasons. But a part of this also is, is that I would I would argue that the greatest benefits from governance, the, the greatest benefits happened at those cross-functional levels. So there was always a greater gravitational pull away from business units because I would argue that the greatest benefits here are when they are realized at above a functional level, right? So if you look at an organization largely at, as three levels, right? Functional, cross-functional, kind of headquarters enterprise-wide, mm -hmm. the real value starts to get exponential as you move up the, the, the value chain, as you go from functional to cross-functional, right? And that's the value of governance. That's the, the value of more centralized governments. That's, that's the pendulum swinging more towards the CEO and more towards senior leadership, right? And, and they can say, ooh, look at all this goodness here of having a single view of the customer and having this, this, this large centralized governance organization. And I see that. But the costs are really, really still remain within the functional group because because mm -hmm. it is people in functional groups that are doing that are doing the data quality, that are doing the data stewardship, that are doing the data mapping, that are doing the basic ETL. So there is this constant ebb and flow back and forth where the benefits are at a higher level, the costs are at a lower level. And there's all these shifting going on. And, and I would argue that kind of the way to break all of this, the way to break it, not all, not the only way, but a way. <laughs> To, to, to break a lot of this is to find a way to, to, to get the incentives to better align at a lower level, right? And, and, and a way to do that 
now this is getting into really kind of conceptual and really theoretical here is is that marketing organizations across or companies have more in common than a marketing organization would have within a company with a finance group right like so 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 can we find a way to be managing data at a functional level that delivers scale that delivers more value in a way that is beyond what we can do today. I would argue this starts to get into cross-company data sharing and to some other realms that I would largely argue are, are untapped. Um, but I think there's there's something interesting there. So it, separate conversation around data sharing, separate conversation around creating incentive structures that allow for data stewardship and data quality and data governance to be managed in a more scalable, equitable way. Um, but yeah, that pendulum, it, it, it's, it's constant and it's always swinging back and forth. It always is business freedom versus centralized control. We are living very much in a world of, of business freedom. Maybe the data mesh will figure this out. Maybe the data fabric will figure this out. And what I mean by this is this happy medium between total complete freedom, domain centricity, if, if you will, fine, but call it whatever. This happy middle ground between complete freedom over here and still some idea of centralized control the, where the pendulum stops, right? If we can do that, then I will be the greatest uh, supporter of data mesh or data fabric or insert name here. I don't care, whatever um, that, that you've ever seen, because if we can do that. That's that's what we really, really need. But it has yet to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I saw this a little bit, kind of similar to the example you said at the beginning about um, um, just just the the governance standards and kind of you don't really see that value until you get to the the board, the corporate kind of the enterprise level. Yeah, you know, I worked at a company where business development, like you said, spun out a sort of guerrilla analytics function right. within themselves because we're a healthcare organization. The you know corporate analytics team was focused on healthcare outcomes, they were focused on trying to manage payer relations and get Medicare Advantage plans at the payer level. And all business development cared about was, well, how are my sales reps performing in a certain territory? Exactly. Certain hospital. So analytics for neither group really served one another. And it kind of caused this kind of spin out. And, you know, you're presenting it, business development metrics to the board. And they're like, well, how can you roll that up to, you know, HCA across five states? And we were kind of like, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It, exactly. So we have. Do we have any um, questions? My interface yeah. has gone a little wacky. It's completely, totally blacked out. It seems like we may have some questions. Yeah. When, when you were talking earlier about uh, data ownership and you know perhaps that being a, a bit of a misnomer and kind of how you implement that, somebody asked, you know, well, who is accountable for the data and the data quality if not the owner? Doesn't the owner kind of? Well, well, well right. So. Right. And, 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 and herein lies a little bit of the rub. I, I get it. So for data that is inherently kind of cross-functional, this is, this is largely master data, but it's not exclusively master data uh, either. Like reference data, by the way, uh, great, great example here. Ultimately, the accountability for that data would fall within sort of some cross-functional data governance organization. And I know even for me that, that that's hard for me to say mm -hmm. because when everybody is accountable, nobody's accountable. I, I, I get it. <laughs> right. But but ultimately, that's how it has to be. If data is being widely shared across the organization. Right. It is. If it's cross-functional, if it needs both a combination of domain centricity and some sort of cross enterprise, cross functional focus. Well, then it the ownership really, really needs to come down to some form of data governance council. 
that is responsible for those two things that I've talked about, right? Defining business rules, defining governance policies, and implementing and managing and executing those, right? So ultimately, that, that governance committee is going to be responsible mm -hmm. for those things. Now, at lower levels, each of those individual deliverables, right, like making sure that a field is is not null within a CRM. That could be somebody's right. job. They could be accountable for that, right? Making sure that there are metrics to quantify the impacts of, of a data governance policy. That could be a steward's job, right? But when it comes to a, a customer data, let's say customer data, right? Who's responsible for customer data? Well, that is by definition a collaborative effort. Sure. There are a lot of other things that go into that, that can most certainly be owned by individuals at more of a process or functional level. But the idea that one person owns customer data, it just, it, it, it's never worked. Right, it's shared it's data. It's never worked. Absolutely. Yeah. We had another question kind of uh, in your, your kind of intro, intro, you're talking about separating data and analytics and how that comes down to operational and analytical uses of data. I had a question. Would you like to see operational databases built on text files like a data lake and just kind of the impact of that? That's interesting. Well, why? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's, there's gotta be something else to that. I'm, I'm, maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Why, why, right? Like, I mean, I guess, I guess a text file could be a really, really, really rudimentary form of a database, but um, no, I, I, I don't, I don't think I understand the question. Answer: No, I would not. Yeah. I would, I would prefer that that data sits in, you know, you know, data feeding a CRM or an ERP is sitting in a robust relational data store. Indeed. Because, because, because it, it needs to, right? Like, you, you need to be able to index that that data quickly. When you're talking about a CRM or an ERP, you're, you're talking about known knowns, right? You're, you're talking about queries that are repetitive and known and structured. I mean, this is the world of relational data. So mm -hmm. answer, no, I wouldn't want to see it in text file. I'd want to see it in a robust relational data store. Did have one question, uh, just talking about the change management. So how do you overcome uh, organizational change management challenges that come with implementing uh, an MDM platform, MDM initiative? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know... Change management is is you know how how kind of you know I guess IT folks like like to posit things and you know inherently governance is change management right and we we can look at the execution and management of data governance through the lens of change management I think that that's fine right I I think you can um, I love to look at it through the lens of kind of more of a product lens right if you were if you were going back to my widget. If you were going to change the way the widget worked, what would you do, right? And and I think yes, that is inherently a change management function. But I love looking at it through the lens of product because a product person would say, okay, what are the cost benefits of the change? What's the business case for my change? Is the change going to be net positive for the organization? What are the downstream impacts of this change going to be on, let's say, customer service or support? Right? Will we increase our widget defect rates by implementing this change, right? So, so changes would be evaluated and managed through the lens of, of a product, right? Starting with a business case, right? And, and, and working all the way through back to that marketing plan that I was talking about, working back through what we would call go-to-market as a product person. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, I, I was a chief product officer. I was the, the vice president of product. I had a, a product team 
with a software startup based in Austin. So I, I come at this rather honestly. The first 15 years of my career was all product centric. So um, you'd have a go to market plan, right? Where it's okay, well, we're implementing a change, new bell or whistle on the widget, and we're implementing a change. So we need to educate our, our users. We need to educate all the people who are going to do this, right? We need to make sure that they understand how to implement the change or how to use the new bell or whistle on the widget. Um, we like in the data world, we like to call this data literacy. I don't call it data literacy because I because frankly, guys, I think the, the phrase data literacy is is judgmental and and, and 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 borderline condescending. Right. What's the opposite of that? It's data. Bingo. <laughs> What's the opposite of data literacy? Well, it's data illiteracy. Right. And who wants to be told they're illiterate? Right. Chances are pretty good. I don't use this thing the right way. <laughs> Right. Actually, chances are very good that I don't use this you thing use the right theory way. instead of theory. right. Right. And 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 it's like, okay, does that make me widget illiterate? Come on, no, it, it doesn't. And and I get it. Right. It's like, well, it's not. We're not saying data illiterate. We're just saying that you know the the problems with data or an inability to derive value from data is a result of a skills gap. And by the way, this is the core tenet of data literacy that the inability to derive optimal value from data is a result of a skills gap of the users of said data. That's it. And if it, if, if you, we can argue all day, I, I'm going to stand by that one. I read Jordan Morrow's book, got a pretty good idea what data literacy is. So if you would make that assumption that the inability to derive value from data is all about data literacy, right? Well, the opposite is data illiteracy. And I would argue that that's not always the case, meaning that it's not always about a skills gap. Maybe the data itself is low quality. Maybe you built a poor product. If the widget doesn't meet the need and nobody buys it, or it's full of defects, or it gets returned to the store, well, maybe the problem was the product, not the user, right? And so, I don't know, I, I tread very lightly when it comes to data literacy. We all want better informed, better skilled, uh, uh, employees. We all want people to know when the right tool is the right tool for a job and how to use that tool, right? You don't want to use this as a hammer, mm -hmm. right? And you need to, to train people, hey, this isn't a hammer. I'm not sure if I've ever used my iPhone as a hammer, but there's a good chance I've, I've probably used it in some sort of banging way. Anyway, <laughs> um, you want people to know what's the right tool for the right job, right? And, and that's good. And you want people to be highly skilled, but at the same time, um, maybe you need to be looking at the product. Maybe you need to be looking at your product quality. Maybe there's other things that you should be looking at before you go and assume that it's skills gap is the problem for people not getting uh, value out of the data. <laughs> Sorry, the question was about change management. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I wound my way all the way down to late data literacy. But yes, I, I like change management, especially, especially when you put it through the lens of product lifecycle management. That's even better. Right. If you, so, if you if you look at changes through the lens of business cases, if you look at changes through the lens of impacts to users, if you look at changes through the lens of uh, go to market and training and all those things, like a product manager would do, right on. Mm -hmm. I'm all for change management. Absolutely. We had one follow up question um, about data as a product. So, yeah. what if data? What if data is truly your product? It's what you say. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Monetization. What do you suggest? Yeah when you know an off-the-shelf MDM doesn't hold the complexity of a two-tier kind of conventional MDM, they call it a product MDM approach. So what do you suggest when 
I think implementing MDM and mastering data when your data actually is your product. What a great question. So I happened to work for a company for seven years where that was the case. Um, a little data provider called Dun & Bradstreet. And um, I had the lofty title of distinguished architect. I think it was because they, they recognized all of the hair and uh, the gray hair and they said, okay, well, <laughs> you need to be distinguished. He looks distinguished, yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. And I had to wear a tweed jacket all the time too. It was really, uh, yeah. Elbow, elbow pads. Exactly, yeah, and a pipe. <laughs> well, when your data is the product, um, sorry. Uh, yeah, when your data is the product, it introduces some interesting and unique challenges. Um, most of uh, uh, I've seen in the past, smashing my microphone, I've seen in the past where, um, you know, where to draw the line from an IT perspective. That's a good one. Usually um, from when you have a, a, a widget, when you sell widgets, you, you can draw a hard line between, you know, IT for internal purposes and IT for external purposes. When your when your product when your data is the product, you know your factory, your data and analytics factory that would otherwise exist only for internal users, where it's easy to to, to allocate costs and budget uh, to internal users. Uh, those wor those worlds get really really blurry. Um, not to mention from an IT just kind of core infrastructure, things get really really blurry from the perspective of you know QA versus production and how to separate separate those those worlds for internal uses versus external uses. Um, I actually have uh, a podcast episode coming up. We haven't published it yet. It may be the very next one um, where um, I interview on CDO Matters, uh, Selim Khan, um, who's one of the smartest people that I know, who is the CDO of a company who makes data for a living. And in another few episodes, he's told me he's going to do it. And if he's watching this, I'm going to hold your feet to it. Uh, I'm going to interview another CDO of a data-centric product. His name is Chris Pardo, uh, who works for a company called Apex Analytics, who also manages data for a living. So I would, sorry, this is a shameless plug. I don't usually do this stuff. Uh, but instead of me giving, giving you this, I would say stay tuned. Two episodes of CDO Matters, two within the next five are going to be with chief data officers of companies that manage data where it is their product. And I will ask them all the hard questions. Promise. Awesome. Awesome. Look forward to that. Um, one, we just had a, had a comment um, on your uh, comment on the Data Governance Council and who's ultimately accountable for data. Um, yeah. Said, Absolutely. On the Data Governance, data governance Council, seen, never been successful without one. And that data stewards are... Uh, part of the part of the process, but not the ones ultimately you know, responsible for maintaining it. So, just yeah, governance councils are, are tough. They're they're but but absolutely positively necessary. Now, my, what I've seen historically is companies really struggle with this, and they really really struggle with creating and managing and maintaining. That's the hard one. Maintaining. Um, they generally last six months, seven months, eight months. When some edict has been issued from the top that says thou shalt attend these meetings and own XYZ data, and that'll only last a little bit. It won't last longer than even a full budget cycle. The right way to do it is, is as a part of that governance council, if, if it could be the governance council, I would argue it should start with the CDO, where you do some work, some basic work to make a business case that connects better data and the management of data to the delivery of business outcomes, 
right? Start high level, work your way down, start with three or four or five or six or seven use cases, right? Start a data governance committee with limited scope, right? One of a difficult thing that you can do that introduces a lot of risk is to bring everybody to the table on day one, right? I would argue that if you're looking to get a governance organization off the ground, if you're looking to start, start implementing a data strategy is to focus very, very, very narrowly on specific business processes, three, four or five of them, bring those folks to the table work with them to put together some business cases that make a connection between investments in governance and the delivery of business outcomes. If the stakeholders can see that their work, right, will result in more sales, lower costs, mitigated business risk, they will keep going to the meetings. They will be engaged in the meetings. They will happily get into the sometimes boring business of data definitions and policies and data standards and all these other things, but they'll do it if they know that they're going to get, that there's a pot of gold at the end of all of this that is measurable and will go back into their annual bonuses, right? Yeah. What I see instead is, well, we're going to convene a committee. We're going to make these people attend a meeting every two weeks. It's not going to really be that exciting, particularly at the beginning. And we're just going to hope that they stay engaged. Correct. So anyway. Yeah. Kind of folds into, um, like you said, having a very limited um, set of business outcomes and being focused, you know, kind of your minimum viable product uh, data yep. strategy. Bingo. Uh, approach. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are we are precariously close to the bottom of the hour here. Uh, Malcolm, you want to close this out and say um, where people can find you and the podcast and what you've got coming up? Speaking of good marketing, thank you, Ben, for the, rem for right. the reminders. So, uh, yeah, come find me on LinkedIn. I am, when spelled correctly, <laughs> there's, there's only three of me on the planet. Uh, so that's a master data challenge right there. That's it. Right. It's a disambiguation entity resolution challenge. The three Malcolm Hawkers, which of the three is me? Uh, chances are pretty good if you spell my name right on LinkedIn. Uh, you're going to find me, even if you just start with my last name, Hawker. There's not a ton of us either, although there are a few more Hawkers than there are Malcolm Hawkers. But come find me on LinkedIn. If you ask me this question on LinkedIn, any of these questions, I'll, I'll, I'll respond. I may not respond right away, but I, but I do respond. So please come find me on LinkedIn. Come, keep coming to these events. We're going to be doing this every month. So if you've got questions, um, you know, write them down. And then the last Friday of every month has been kind of our cadence. Come to this event, ask the questions. Check me out on YouTube. I am we on, on the Prophecy channel on YouTube. I am posting a lot of stuff out there, a lot of YouTube shorts. I've, I've done five in the last week. So if if you know if this doesn't you know tire you of seeing my my mug, um, check me out on, on, on YouTube. We're putting out some shorts, we're putting out a lot of content there. Come check out prophecy.com in the resources section of prophecy.com. We've got so much stuff, guys. We have, we have got best practices related to RFPs. We've got best practices for building a business case. We've got, we've got so much stuff and so many resources out there that are practically identical to what I was doing at Gartner, I, but not exactly identical at all, um, but, but practically identical with the same level of insight and the same level of goodness that I was doing at, at, at Gartner that we put out on the Prophecy website as, as a resource for everybody to use, customers or not customers, just, just come check it out. So. If you got questions, data quality, data strategy, MDM, governance, getting stuff off the ground, building a business case, the list is long. All of those resources, YouTube, prophecy.com, the resources section, here on, link, or, or on LinkedIn, we're on LinkedIn Live, here on LinkedIn. Come to the podcast, check out previous episodes of the podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're out there, we're here to help. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we just dropped the latest episode of the podcast yesterday. I mentioned with Rashad Dingra. So please, everybody check that out. And we will see you next month on the next episode of CDO Matters Live. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend.